I have these shades on. And that's because there's so many bright futures in here that I can see. I need glasses. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> we're two weeks from Easter. Holy cow. Um, can't believe it. Lent's coming to an end here. Um, and this Lent, I just really have been like reflecting on and thinking a lot about trusting in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And uh, yeah, I just feel like God has, has put a word on my heart this morning related to that um, for all of us that I think he wants to do a, a really awesome work today. Um, and so, but first, I'm going to tell a little story to get us ready. The story is about the Honda. So if you could please show the Honda. This is the Honda. This was my first car I bought. This is not, not this exact one, but it looked exactly like this, if that makes sense. Yeah. It was a stick shift. I loved it. It was like $1,000 cash. I bought it in a parking lot off Craigslist. Uh, the Target parking lot on the south side of Ann Arbor. I was like, wow, it's an amazing car. It's a Honda. It's going to be perfect. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted it to get me through college. And so there were some things that happened um, that I didn't see coming. One day, uh, a couple months later, I was pulling out of our driveway. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard a snap sound. And the car stopped going. And I was like, that's a strange sound. I was like, that's not, that's not right. So then I had to push it, because it was manual, so I could put it in neutral, and pushed it back in the driveway. And then uh, you can go to the next slide. That was their situation we were in. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, because I didn't know what it was, <laughs> I was like, what is this? I talked to my good friend, Elliot, who happens to be minored in car maintenance. <laughs> I was like, what on earth is happening? And he's like, well, looks like you broke your CV joint or something like that. CV shaft, yeah. <laughs> and you can see there's a little bit of rust happening. So when I checked the car, I looked under the hood, but I, and everything looked fine. But then I didn't look under the car to see all the rust, so that, you know. So that broke. So I was like, Elliot, can you help me out? And he was like, sure. So on the hottest day in July, uh, in my parents' driveway with no shade, it was about 90, 100 degrees. It's so bad. <laughs> Elliot had his do-rag on, and I was super scrawny, and we were, like, trying to get up under the car. It was a horrendous day, but we got it in there. We changed that thing to try to save some money. So then, yeah, that was that. Well, about a year later, there was some creaking sound happening, and I was like, huh, it's on the same side. I was like, well, we fixed the axle, so it has to be something else. If you can see this black thing that goes up there to connect to the other stuff, and it's all rusted out. <laughs> I'm not a mechanic, <laughs> if you can't tell, but I was like, I can save some money by trying to fix that. Well, if you go to the next slide, you can see, see that thing? <laughs> That's called a subframe. And the subframe is what connects your engine to the rest of the frame of the car. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that got rusty. You can see up there how it's kind of caving in. Well, that was like, there was nothing connecting to anything over there. It was just wobbling. So I would like turn and it would make a wobbling sound. And that was Brooke's side of the car. So she'd always be like, something doesn't feel right. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's probably nothing. <laughs> well, it wasn't nothing. And so I was like, because when Elliot and I fixed the thing the summer before, we used a YouTube video, Elliot's brother, 
and a lot of WD-40. And so for this, I was like, maybe I can find a YouTube video. My uncle did this before, and I have WD-40, so I'll do it again. So I tried to fix this. It was horrendous. It was the worst thing ever. It took me, I was like, I can do it in two weeks and be done and be able to drive up north with Brooks family. That didn't happen. It took weeks and weeks and weeks of trying to get screws out and bolts and going up to the store to get more stuff. It was terrible. But at the end of that grueling process, it was, it was like many months. Um, I finally got it fixed. I got it finished. And uh, the car was able to drive. And I was so, so, so relieved that it was finally over. I could get the car out of my parents' garage and it was finished, right? It died later, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> but why, what does this have anything to do with Lent, you might be asking yourself. Well, that's a great question, as you should be asking. Um, I wanted to tell this story because it's a great illustration of a really difficult task that feels so good once it's done. It's finished. And my mind was finally at ease. I, was, I could relax knowing that my car was safe. I could drive it. Mostly safe. <laughs> Um, the title of the sermon is, It is Finished. And our scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, starting in verse 28. So you can turn there. We're going to read this quick, and we're going to spend some time on it. Because with this whole Lent season, the cross is pretty important. And so I've been reflecting on this passage a lot, and I really felt like there's something good for us to get out of it today. Um, and so, yeah, we've got it up here on the screen. I'll read it. These are Jesus' final words on the cross before he dies. And let's look at what he says, what it says. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Notice that Jesus says, it is finished right before he dies. What exactly is finished, though? I mean, we get that he's died, but, like, what is finished? And why would Jesus say this? And so that's what we're going to look into today, and I hope it's, it blesses you. So let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for how good you are, for what you did for us on the cross, and that the work is finished, and that we can have victory and freedom and relationship with you, God. And I just pray for everybody here, Lord, that you would just open their hearts, open my heart, God, to what you're wanting to say and what you're wanting to do, and just that we would really connect with you, God. And uh, just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So let's look at again at the passage in John. Um, Jesus says the words, it is finished. And in the Greek that this is translated from, the Greek word is teleo which means that something is finished, fulfilled, or accomplished. And so when Jesus is dying on the cross, his final breath is used to declare to the world that it's accomplished, mission accomplished. He did it. He did what he was here to do. Um, and so this raises the question, though, that what exactly was the work that he came to do? And so as I was praying, there's a few key scriptures, I'm praying and preparing for the sermon, um, that kind of point us to what this work is that Jesus was going to accomplish. And so if we're in a time machine now, this is like we're at the cross, right? We're going to turn the dial back, and we're going to go back to the beginning. So we're going to go to John chapter 1. 
And at this part of the story, we see John the Baptist, who's preparing the way for Jesus. He's baptizing people, bringing in repentance. And then he makes a really interesting statement about Jesus. Um, let's look at it. So in John 1, 29, John and his disciples are hanging out, and then they say Jesus. So it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, let me get my papers over here. Um, John is calling Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does that mean? <laughs> well, that's kind of a strange picture, right? Um, but to answer this, we need to know some cultural context. What is so significant about this? So I think I have a picture of a lamb. So this is a painting from many, many years ago called The Lamb of God. And I just thought it was a pretty good painting. Um, but in Jesus, or Jesus, Jewish religious practice at this time, they would sacrifice lambs at, for sin. And so the, the lamb was like a pure lamb, spotless, hadn't done anything wrong, and therefore it could take the sin of the person offering the sacrifice and fulfill that. Um, and so John, when he's talking about Jesus, he's saying there's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. And that's a pretty major statement, right? Um, it's foreshadowing that Jesus will be killed as a sacrifice for our sins, and this is radical. Like, that had never happened before, <laughs> and it hasn't happened since, right? <laughs> and so from the beginning of this book, the book of John, we can see this work that's going to be happening. Um, the second scripture that I want us to look at, we're going to move the dial a little bit forward in the timeline, um, is John chapter 4. We see this amazing story um, it's probably one of my favorites in scripture. It's the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Um, it's such a great story. And the Chosen, we've been watching the Chosen, and it, they do a really great job like showing that happen. It's a lot of fun. Um, I really like Peter in that series. One, he's jacked, but then two, like, it's just really fun. <laughs> so um, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so the story of the Samaritan woman um, yeah, the disciples and Jesus are walking through Samaria. They're getting hungry. It's about lunchtime. Jesus sends the disciples in to go get some food. Jesus hangs around at the well. He has this amazing moment with the Samaritan woman. Um, and so typically at this time, women and men like didn't really interact a lot like this. Like a teacher like him, like Jesus, a rabbi, probably wouldn't be talking to this woman especially alone, and especially a Samaritan woman. There was a lot of odds there. So he was doing something really amazing here. Um, and he reveals himself to her as the Messiah. And that's amazing, too. Like, wow. Um, she runs back into town to share this good news with everybody. Disciples return, like, what just happened? Like, this is weird. <laughs> Who are you just talking to, Jesus? And Jesus, uh, he goes, like, they say, are you hungry? Like, do you want something to eat? And he is kind of weird about it, and he's like, <laughs> I don't need your food, <laughs> basically. Um, and they're like, what? So let's look at what he says. So in John chapter 4, verses 38 through 34 through 38, um, this is what it says. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. There's a lot here, but what I wanted us to focus on was this thing that Jesus began with in this section. He says, um, yeah, let's see. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So again, we see he's here to do and finish this work that God the Father sent him to do. And so again, it's pointing to this work. And in this context, we see that Jesus is describing the work the Father sent him to finish and is to tell those around him about the good news that the Messiah will save them, right? He's like, I'm the Messiah. I'm here to save. Um, and that's pretty powerful. Um, so let's move the dial again forward. Um, this time we'll be in John chapter 17. And this is the night before Jesus is arrested. Um, and he's praying uh, with the disciples. And this, this is what it says. John 17, starting in verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What an awesome prayer. It's so cool. The whole chapter, John 17, is like Jesus praying, and that's such an awesome chapter. Um, Elliot loves that one, and I love that one because Elliot told me about it, and now I love it too. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, fixed my car, taught me about the Bible. Pretty good guy. <laughs> so, anyway... Here again, we see Jesus talking about the work that he's about to finish, right? He's, the cross is coming. Um, and by completing this work, Jesus is able to give eternal life um, to those who know him. And notice his definition of eternal life, which is what I love, to know God. Isn't that awesome? Like, sometimes we think, like, oh, it's to get out of hell or to get into heaven, which is awesome, too. <laughs> but, like, Jesus is saying, I want to give eternal life to know God. Like, that's crazy. Um, and I think this is just such a great passage because um, Jesus is pointing us to the fact that by finishing this work, it is finished. The Father gave him to do. He's making it possible to know God. So let's go back to where we started, chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After all of these things, Jesus, you know, revealing himself, explaining who he is, why he came. Later knowing that everything had now been finished and that the scripture, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. I was trying to think of like what to preach on for Lent because there's a lot you can talk about. And this phrase, it is finished, has kept coming up to my mind. Um, and I just think it's so powerful. Jesus finished the work of being the perfect sacrifice for our sin. 
and he has brought us the opportunity to have eternal life, knowing God and being known by God fully forever. Like, wow. And I think we've all heard this a lot, many, many times probably. I know I have growing up in church a long time, like you hear about this a lot. And so I think sometimes when we hear something a lot, it can lose its potency. And I was hoping to revive it a little bit and bring it some new flavor, <laughs> I guess. Um, and so maybe we conceptually understand it in our minds, but I don't, I was just feeling like it's easy for us to live sometimes in such a way that says it is not finished. Because it is finished, but sometimes we live like it's not finished. And so what do I mean? Well, there's three amazing blessings that Christ's finished work has given us that sometimes I don't think we always can live out. And so the first one um, is that our guilt is gone. Um, And so as the Lamb of God, he takes away our guilt. We had a guilty sentence. We were sinners, and Jesus wiped it away. And that's amazing. Um, We've all fallen short of God's holy standards, and so apart from a perfect sacrifice, there was no way for us to know God fully the way he wants us to really know him, right? And so through the cross, he takes away our sin. These are all things we know conceptually, but he gives us that blank slate. And so I think sometimes we can say, like, yeah, I put my faith in Jesus. I believe he's forgiven me, but then we don't rest in that. We don't rest in the knowledge that he has finished it. I don't need to keep earning it, right? And that's something that I struggled with a lot, like (laughs) holding on to those sins, those things in my life that I don't think I deserve that forgiveness for, right? Um, And I don't really deserve the forgiveness, but it's a free gift. (laughs) That's the best part. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but yeah, and then sometimes we can also strive to do things for God, almost like we're trying to pay him back. And I've been there a lot of times. And I think Jesus is like, it's finished. (laughs) You know, he said it, it is finished. And uh, I love that Jesus' definition of eternal life is to know God, which is relational. He wants us. He just wants us. He doesn't want, like, what I can do for him. He wants all of me. Um, And he wants us to do those good works, because James talks about, because we talk about James uh, for the mighty men. Uh, (laughs) uh, We've been going through James, and of course, James talks about faith and works together. Uh, But he wants us to do them with him. That's what he wants, right? The second point that I felt highlighted was that our shame is gone. Um, When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, she, he asked her, like, you know, go back and tell your husband. I think it was something like that. And she's like, well, I don't really have a husband. And he's like, you're right. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> but that would have been something in that culture, in that time, that would have been a lot of shame for her. Like, she would have not have been, like, accepted by the broader society at the time. She would have had shame. She wouldn't have had her honor. But Jesus gave her her honor by speaking to her, even though she was a woman and a Samaritan, and by telling her, I'm going to give I can give you living water. And, uh, yeah, we're H2O, living water. I'm just realizing that. Anyway. <laughs> um, 
he was re- he was giving her her honor back, right? Which is so amazing. Um, but sometimes, like, we can say we believe that God's forgiven us, but we still hold on to shame over things that we've done in our past. And that can cause, like, a disconnect, disconnect between ourselves and God um, and our way of thinking. You know, we can feel disconnected from him. Um, but just like the Samaritan woman, uh, Jesus wants us to trust him and accept that it is finished, you know? We can run to him, especially when we feel shame. Like, he, he wants us. He did the work. <laughs> he, he finished it. Um, and then the third, third point here is that our fear is gone. Um, and that because it's finished, we don't have to live in fear. And so I'm going to tell a story about something I was scared of when I was about six. Because I, anyway. So you guys, you guys know uh, the Disney Narnia movies? They're really, really good. Can you show us what the beaver looks like in that? They look like beavers, right? So when I was a kid, we used to go to the library a lot. And at the library, they had these, homeschooled life, they used to have these BBC Narnia, (laughs) Isaac got me, BBC Narnias that were a little off. Discount Narnia. At the time, it was probably all right. Anyway, so we watched these. The first time I watched them, I had a panic attack because this is what the beavers looked like in that show. (laughs) What the heck is even that? Those aren't beavers. I don't know what that is. It terrified me. And I had nightmares about those beavers for a long time. Just take it all in. Take it all in. I don't even have feet. I don't know what's happening. That's messed up. Thankfully, I've mostly gotten over my fear, mostly, of these guys. It's pretty freaky. Okay. It's a healing moment for me to be able to share this with all of you. Thank you. Um, But many times I've experienced fear over other things in my life. (laughs) <laughs> Poor Kylie. <laughs> uh, yeah, the beavers. Um, and this has probably been the one that I feel like the Holy Spirit's really been working on me this week. Is like, it is finished, so my fear can be gone. And I used to really struggle, and still can struggle, with fear of failure. I was the kid in high school that if I got like a B, I was like, I'm a failure. Oh. I'm never going to get to U of M. Oh. You know, <laughs> I wonder if anybody else has dealt with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. The fear of failure—that's it's intense. That's real. Um, that was a major motivator to me, um, and I've been really convicted about that reading these scriptures because Jesus doesn't want a performance; He wants our hearts, right? And when He says it is finished, it tells me that I can have eternal life. And that's knowing him and being known fully by God. And when you're fully known and fully loved by somebody, there's no room for fear, right? I can trust him fully because I know how much love he has for me. And wow, that's empowering. I remember like when I was a kid, I'd have my nightmares about the creepy beavers. And so I would go into my parents' room and be like, Mom, Dad, I'm scared. And they'd be like, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. 
you know, the reavers aren't real. <laughs> They're not going to get you. Um, and I think like when we experience fear, we should run to our Father because he made a way for us to be able to run to him, right? Yeah, we can find security in that. Um, so yeah, the band can come back up. Keeping it a little, a little shorter today so we can have some time to pray because I really, yeah, I really feel like this is something to pray through today. Um, but practically, how does this make a life or make a difference in our lives, make a life in our difference? Practice, <laughs> practically, how does this make a difference in our lives as Jesus followers? I think first, uh, it's important to just contemplate the meaning behind it is finished when Jesus said that. Like, really let it sink in through our hearts and to ask, do we really believe it is finished? Like, he did it. It's enough. And uh, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, um, I just really felt like God wanted me to emphasize uh, that he finished the work so that our hearts can find rest in him. Um, it's really easy to, to be doing a lot of things, running around a lot, doing a lot of things for God, but not to rest in knowing that it is finished. And uh, that we can rest secure, secure knowing eternally we will be known and fully known by God. And uh, I think of like that feeling after you finish the school year or after you finish that last assignment and turn it in. It's like, oh, it's finished. It's over. Or after I fixed my car and I was like, yay, it's finished, you know? <laughs> Um, it's like that feeling, but way better. And I think God wants us to enter into that. And so, yeah. So, that's, that's about it. But Pastor Nino will lead us into some prayer time now. But, yeah, thanks, guys. That's great. Awesome. All right. That was great. Everything was amazing except the beavers. Now we have to have that burned into our minds as well. Um, if you could leave that up there for a little bit, um, that slide, and can we stand together? We're going to go into a time of, of, no, no, not the beaver slide, sorry. I do this to Tammy a lot, sorry. Not the beaver. The current slide, just this one. I, thank you, I, I apologize. I, I do this at times. My communication is not always the most clear, and I appreciate the, the, the clarity. Thank you, because that would have been the strangest altar call I've ever given. <laughs> that, that would be bad. Um, all right, how do I bring this back together? I don't know. No, uh, thank you for sharing that. It, it, was, it was powerful. And you know, during Lent, um, we've been really having altar calls every week just as an extended way for you guys to pray. Um, and God has been moving really powerfully on Sundays. I don't know if some of you have experienced that, but we've had some incredible prayer times. I know many of you have come forward. We've been praying together. I mean, just the last three, four weeks have been really good. And we want to continue that and give you an opportunity. As the band leads us in worship, if there's guilt that you're dealing with, this would be for those of us here. And there's sin in our lives, and we know it, and we need to repent. Come to the altar and just get right with God and let him, and it is finished. And let him wash you and cleanse you and just bring that to the light. If there is shame in some of us here, there's, and shame follows sin, and that's where maybe we've sinned and we did something, but the devil just keeps beating you up over and over and over again. 
we need to just rebuke that. That's not from God. Okay, that is not from the Lord. You don't have to live in shame. We can live as new creations in Christ. It doesn't matter what I've done, where I've been, Jesus has cleansed me, and I don't walk in shame anymore. I'm his son. I'm his child. I run to his arms this morning. And then I think this last one, fear, is really powerful for your generation. It's obviously uh, a cloud hanging over U of M, anxiety and fear. And you don't have to fear anymore because Jesus died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. When the devil comes against us with fear and anxiety, the ultimate answer always is, I don't have to fear because what's the worst thing that could happen to me? Well, I guess I could die and I'd go to heaven. It's not a bad end to my life because Jesus conquered the grave because he made a public display of Satan and was raised from the dead. There is no fear. There's no fear. There's no anxiety anymore because of Jesus, not because of me, not because of you. But if you're dealing with that fear and that anxiety, let's come to the altar. Let's pray and let Jesus take that away and fill you with his faith, his love. And let's walk in a lightness with a freedom that we haven't had. Amen? Let's do it. So, band, if you could lead us. And as they begin to lead us, come on to the altars. Let's pray and let's seek the Lord together.